Hi there, everyone. Indeed, it's such a privilege, it's such an honor for me to be sharing with you today with regards to this series on identity. We've called it the Identity Rehab because I believe that a lot of us need some rehab when it comes to our identity in Christ. And we've been talking about identity as in kingdom identity. All right. What's the identification of someone who's in the kingdom? So that's why we've been calling it kingdom identity. And we've been dealing with different facets of our kingdom identity. And today we're going to look at something so powerful. We're going to talk about, I know who I am. I know who I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revelation knowledge today. We thank you for insight into your mysteries. And I pray, Father, that you would bring freedom to every single person who listens to this message and that it will not be robbed from us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm quite excited about this message because I really believe that it will bring liberty to many of us. Uh, you see, part of your identity in Christ is knowing who you are, right? Not just who you are, generally speaking, but knowing your uniqueness, okay? So knowing who I am apart from other people around me, okay? Knowing my uniqueness. When you look at this whole concept of identity, by definition, identity is unique, okay? Your ID number, there's no other number like it, okay? By, by definition, there mustn't be a duplicate, all right? Uh, when you have a customer ID uh, with a service provider, there's no other customer ID like yours, okay? It's a unique identification. There's no one else with the same fingerprints as you. And when God created you, right? You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And when we speak of being fearfully and wonderfully made, we're really talking about how he took great care when he created you, right? When God made you, he broke the mold. There's no replica, right? There's no replica. And uh, he had your purpose in mind and your purpose is unique. And so he fashioned you according to your purpose. Isn't that amazing? All right. So no one else is the same as you. Sadly, so many people today struggle with enmeshment, what's called enmeshment, right? Um, let me define that. Enmeshment is a, is, it's basically a description of a relationship between two or more people in which boundaries have become uh, permeable, right, or unclear. So they've got collapsed boundaries between them, right? It's where I don't know where does Paul uh, end and where does Tracy begin, right? That's enmeshment. So our goal when it comes to our boundaries is to have healthy boundaries, right? To have healthy boundaries, not rigid boundaries and not collapsed boundaries. You see, the one extreme is rigid boundaries. The other extreme is collapsed boundaries. We need to have healthy boundaries. And, you know, sometimes I ask people, I'll say to someone, especially moms, you know, can say to them, um, so what's your favorite food? You know, what food do you like? And they might say, well, my hubby likes this, my kids like this, and um, we're really fortunate because nowadays we can afford this. And I say, well, no, but what's your favorite? What do you like? And after asking more than two questions deep, I discover that this person doesn't actually know what they like. They've become so enmeshed in the people around them, okay? It's so important that you know who you are. It's so crucial that you know who you are, and then you guard who you are. And what I'm going to do in this uh, in this message is I'm going to show you how Jesus knew who he was and then how he guarded who he was. Okay. So a key question I want to ask you is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Okay. 
Do you know who you are? In our journey, in this identity journey, it's important to know who I am. And it's also important to know who I am not, okay? And many of us have grown up in collectivist cultures, right? Collectivist societies where very often we'll make a decision not based on our unique needs and desire, but based on our fear of banishment from the in-group, okay? It's very interesting, you know? So you might say, mom and dad, I love drawing. I want to go to university to study art. And mom and dad might look at you and say, uh, have we seen this happening in our community, in our culture before? Uh, we don't know anyone who does that. Sorry, uh, son or daughter, we're not going to spend money uh, sending you to university to just go and draw pictures. We haven't seen this before. So we need to we need to guard against this. We need to explore to what extent am I living my life through other people? To what extent am I living my life uh, through a collective identity and not the individual identity that God has given me? Uh, and on other occasions, we'll talk about our group identity. We've already spoken quite a bit about that. But I want to emphasize here your unique identity in Christ Jesus, your kingdom identity, knowing who you are and knowing who you are not, uh, because this issue of enmeshment is a big one, all right? Now, we set boundaries. Why do we have to guard our identity, right? We guard our identity through setting boundaries, right? That's one of the key ways of doing so, and we set boundaries to protect what is important in our lives, okay, which is our identity, right? And also to avoid the stress that comes from collapsed, collapsed boundaries, Okay, and enmeshment. And um, this is so important, so crucial. Uh, Laurie Radin said, boundaries are essential to helping us identify who we are, what's important to us, and how we want to live our lives. Without them, other people will decide these things for us. In other words, other people will decide, right, what's important for you and how you should live your life. Okay, so... Jesus was clear about who he was and he continuously did things to guard this. And it's something we don't see very often. You know, we don't look out for this very often, but it's all over scripture where you see him guarding his identity. Okay. And we are called to do the same. We are called to do the same. Once you know who you are, it's important to then guard who you are. So uh, let's start off by looking at Jesus. And just examining uh, his clarity of identity. Let's look at Jesus and examine his clarity of identity. So firstly, Jesus was clear about his leadership style and philosophy. That's just one area where Jesus was very clear. He was clear about his leadership style and his philosophy. Okay. Uh, in Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, we see this very powerfully. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you'll indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant and 
the two with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Can you see? He differentiates himself. He's showing here that he's got a different approach to leadership. He's got a different leadership style and leadership philosophy. Okay? So he says this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Okay? Not so with you. He's reinforcing kingdom identity here. Okay? Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the question I want to ask you is, are you clear about the type of leader that you want to be? Are you clear about that? Do you have a clear leadership brand? Do you intentionally lead others from this philosophy, from this leadership philosophy? You see, Jesus knew who he was and he differentiated himself. He distinguished himself from the leaders of the world. If you're not clear about your leadership style, your leadership philosophy, your values, your ethics, guess what? You will go by the default that's around you. So part of kingdom identity is being clear about our leadership philosophy and leadership style. And we see this in Jesus's life. Okay. Um, this is also powerful. It's seen in uh, Matthew 26 verses 50 to 54. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. He's obviously talking about Judas, right? Um, then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Okay? Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So again, Jesus here is showing that how he is wired and his approach and his kingdom and his philosophy, it's not the same as the world. And one of the things that saddens me is how many Christians do business just like the world does it, right? Many Christians lead just like the world leads. Many Christians uh, parent or are husbands or wives just like the world. They go by that default. And here Jesus is showing that there's a kingdom way. And it wasn't just a theoretical thing, okay? It's something that stopped him from uh, avoiding the cross, for example, right? He knew that this is not the approach. And he had the word, he had scriptures to back that up. He knew that it had to happen in a certain way. Are you clear about your approach? Are you clear about how you lead? Are you clear about how you love? Are you clear about how you do business? Are you clear about your philosophy of life? Okay. Um, next, I want to show you how Jesus was clear about his personal attributes. This is a central part of your identity. Clarity concerning your personal attributes. Because we're not all the same. Look at this. In Matthew 11 verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that powerful? He described himself as gentle. He described himself as humble. Jesus could have, at this point, used all sorts of other descriptions, but he specifically highlighted these two. And he says, you know what? If you come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. How do you describe yourself? What are your attributes? You know, I can say I'm generous. I'm a quick learner. I'm kind. Okay. I'm flexible. What can you say about yourself concerning your qualities? Because you see, those are your unique selling points. That's what you bring to a team. That's what you bring to a church. Okay. It's part of your kingdom identity. You see, kingdom identity is not just this general thing where everyone is exactly the same. Yes, we want to be Christ-like. But in our Christ-likeness, we have our unique features that we bring, right? And it's important to know what you bring, right? If you're part of a team, if you say to me, Paul, I used to play rugby. First question I'm going to ask you is, what is your position? What is your role? What did you bring to that particular team? Okay, I'm conscious of what I bring to the body of Christ. I'm conscious of what I bring to the local church that I'm a part of, right? It's my identity. It's what I bring in. And I don't have to try to bring in what everyone else brings in, okay? Because God made me for a purpose, right? He broke the mold when he created me. He broke the mold when he created you. There is no replica. So if you're trying to be me, then there's going to be a gap in the body of Christ because there's going to be no one to be you, okay? This is so crucial. It's so important. So Jesus knew what he brought in and he was able to actually say, guys, learn from me. You can actually learn from me. Come to me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Isn't that powerful? Okay. Um, Jesus was clear about his product and unique selling points. It's pretty much the same point I'm trying to make. Okay. And we see this in John 4 verse 13 to 15. He says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's speaking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, right? So he points out that the water that she wants to get is not as good as the water that he has to offer. He knew his product. That makes you a very good salesperson, by the way. You have that confidence and you have that conviction with regards to your product, right? Then he goes on to say, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus, Jesus knew his unique selling points. He knew his identity. And part of knowing your identity is knowing what you have to offer. Okay. And it was so compelling that this woman was like, please, may I have some? You see, some of us don't know who we are. So we don't know what we offer. And so people are not compelled. What are you offering people around you spiritually? What do you have to offer? Are you able to say, come, I can disciple you and you'll know the word of God thoroughly. Are you able to say that? Come, I can teach you how to pray and you will just have such a connection with the living God. What is it that you offer? What is unique about you? You see, the more we begin to talk like this, it's not arrogance. It's knowing what Christ has put in us. And the more we begin to talk like that, the more compelling we will be and people will want what we have. Please, let's move away from this false humility that doesn't say anything about Christ in us, that doesn't say anything about the product we have from the kingdom of God, okay? It's part of your identity. You know, when John asked 
uh, about Jesus saying, you know, uh, please guys, uh, say to his disciples, go and ask him, you know, should we look for another or is he the Messiah? You know, when he was going through a difficult time, Jesus could respond pointing out, right? Very specific works that he had done. Why? He knew that he was called to do those particular things. He could say, tell John that, you know what? The blind see, the lame walk. And he began to list those particular things because he knew his assignment, right? On other occasions, he could say, for the son of man came for this very reason. Do you know what reason you are on earth for, right? Do you know what reason you're on earth for? If someone says, are you really called by God? You know, and then they mention your name. Juan, are you really called by God? Tendai, are you really called by God? Right? Uh, Rufaro, are you really called by God? Are you able to point out very specific things and say, well, look what's happening in my life. Right? Why? Because when you know who you are, when you know your identity, you also know your unique selling points. And those unique selling points are not the same for everyone, right? That's why when Jesus speaks about John, John the Baptist, and praises him, he's, he lists a number of things, right? And he says that, you know, this guy is really great. He's greater than any other prophet that you guys have come across, right? He was able to list certain things. Those were not exactly the same things he listed when he spoke about himself. They were both kingdom people, but they had unique callings. Do you know what it is? for yourself, okay? So do you have a barometer by which you measure your effectiveness? I can't measure my effectiveness based on your calling. It has to be based on my calling. It has to be based on my assignment. That's why it's so crucial for every believer to know what their assignment is and to walk in it, okay? Do you know what you have to offer to the world? What is it that is inside of you that still needs to come out? It's so important to do that. What's your message? What's your message? Some people come to me and they say, Paul, you know what? I want to become a speaker, a communicator. And the first thing I say to them is, you must have a message. You must have a message. What is your message? Okay. And what's unique about your message? It might be similar to what other people have spoken about before, but uh, how is it differentiated? What's special about it? Is it the target market? The fact that you're going to be uh, giving a message which other people have given, but you're, doing, you're giving it to old people or you're giving it to kids or you're giving it to handicapped people. What is it about your message? What is unique about it? Here's the principle. You're not called to everyone. You're not called to everyone. It's important to understand that, okay? So that you can focus your energy, your strength, your passion, okay? Your resources on your assignment. Very important, Okay. Your answer to these questions that I'm asking you will compel people to want what you have. You see, if you are clear about your identity, if you are clear about your message, if you are clear about what product you're offering people, right? It will be so compelling. It'll be so compelling. So what's your message and what's your mission? The other thing about Jesus is Jesus was clear about his priorities. When you know who you are, someone who knows who they are, right? They are clear about their priorities. In other words, they know what's important to them, okay? One of the big identity killers is for the enemies, where the enemy comes into your life and derails you from your priorities. So you do second things first instead of first things first. You see, most Christians, a lot of Christians out there are actually quite deceived about calling and assignment because they think they're doing it. But the thing is, it's third or fourth on their list, 
Okay, and when, when your calling and your assignment in life is third or fourth on the list, guess what ends up happening? One day you get to your deathbed and you live a life full of regrets because you're like, you know what? I sort of did it. You see, the enemy will get you to a place where you're sort of doing your calling and then you deceive yourself thinking that you're doing it, but you're not fruitful. Okay, you're not fruitful because it's third or fourth on your list. So Jesus was clear about his priorities. You see, your priorities, by the way, are not always the same priorities of those around you. They're not the same as the the priorities of those around you. Those of you in the corporate world know what I'm talking about. The essence of what people ask me when I'm coaching them is, Paul, you know what? I'm fine with leading my team, right? Because I, I determine their bonuses. They listen to me. I do their performance reviews. But Paul, how do I influence people that don't report to me? And then this is where they go. They say, Paul, how do I get their priorities to be the same as my priorities? Those people in that team over there, because I need them in order to get results. Okay. Now, here's the thing. When God looks at you and he looks at your calling, right? Very often the manifestation of your calling is such that your priorities cannot be the same as some priorities of people around you. Not necessarily the same. Why? Because the callings are different, right? The callings are different, right? In the same way that the priority in training for someone who's a soccer player, it's not the same priority as someone who's a long distance runner, okay? Um, The soccer player has to build certain skills, which are not the same as the person who's a long distance runner. The hockey player has to practice agility, has to be very quick, uh, has to practice hand-eye coordination and so on. Long distance runner doesn't have to do that, right? It's not the same. So Jesus was clear about his priorities, right? You see this in Luke chapter 2, verse 48 through to 50. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, right? His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I mean, if you know that sometimes when you tell people what your priorities are and you say, I can't be here, I can't be there. Sorry, I can't go to that function. I can't go to that party. They don't understand you because they don't understand your calling because your calling is for you to understand. Okay, so just because people around you don't understand you and your priorities doesn't mean your priorities are wrong. All right. And we see this in Jesus where he was basically differentiating himself from his family. Right. And he was asserting his identity and he was guarding it. Right. Uh, I have to be with my father. And as you look at the, in the book of John, you keep hearing him talk about my father, this, my father, that I do what I see my father doing. And so from a young age, we see that Jesus was surprised. He was like, why are you guys anxiously looking for me? Why are you guys looking for me? Didn't you know that this is where I need to be? He wasn't being disobedient, right? He was asserting his identity. And there comes a time in our life where we have to do so. And the people around us will not always understand. They will not always understand. Okay. Are you willing to do certain things that are unpopular? Are you willing to do certain things that your friends don't understand? Where you say, you know what, guys, I can't come with you to that particular place anymore because I need to do certain things, right? Because this is what I'm called to. The thing is, we live in a generation where so many people are bound by groupthink. 
So many people just go with the flow. You say, why aren't you applying yourself here? Why aren't you reading up on this? Why aren't you spending more time in prayer? Oh, my family had this to do. Oh, we were going here. Oh, everything is we, 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 we. All right? We, 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 we this, we that. But at a certain point, there's a kingdom identity that God has given you where you need to differentiate yourself and say, you know what, guys, I cannot watch that movie with you because I need to be praying because I know what my assignment actually is. Okay. In Luke 9, verse 59 to 62, very powerful. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Can you see what's happening here? Jesus, right? had already asserted his identity even while he was young, right? And he had that conversation with his parents. But now he was addressing it when he was older with other people. We are saying, follow me. But can you see there are other people who couldn't follow him because they had other priorities in their life. There were other things that were important. First, let me go and bury my father. And by the way, that's not speaking of an actual funeral, right? He's basically saying, my father is rich, has reached his old age and I need to actually spend some time with him, right? Uh, and probably it was to guarantee himself his inheritance, okay? Uh, that's, that's what some theologians will say about this uh, scripture. It wasn't, uh, let me actually go the burial services right now. I need to just get going, all right? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God, right? Now, what's a plow? A plow is something that you use when it comes to tilling the land, isn't it? Okay. I know some people who don't come from an agrarian background don't know what a plow is, right? And Jesus is basically saying, if you're going to follow me, put me first, put my kingdom first. Okay. That's part of our identity. Be clear about your priorities. Be clear about your priorities. Key question I want to ask you, do you know who you are? Do you know what you're called to? And do you know the sacrifice involved in that particular calling? And there are levels of calling, therefore there are levels of sacrifice. We're not, we're not all called to make exactly the same types of sacrifices, right? Uh, do you know what those things are, right? Or have you been deceived in your life where you're one of those people where theoretically you're saying, Lord, I'll do it. Lord, I'll do it. Lord, I'll come. But first let me, you know, finish my degree nicely. And do all my exams nicely. First, let me just enjoy being a teenager, Lord. You know, uh, hanging out with everyone and just be, uh, having a normal teenager's life. Let me first do that, Lord. Then when I've settled down, when I've settled down and I'm married and I've got kids, I can take you seriously. Okay. What, what is God saying to you right now about the uniqueness of your calling? Okay. Lord, let me first build my business empire. And let me do it the world's way. You know how it is, Lord. Then once I'm, I've got lots of money, then, then, then I'll finance the kingdom. And, and, and I'll really do whatever you're calling me to do, Lord. Okay. You see, we lose our identity when we're not clear about our, our priorities. Okay. Part of knowing who you are is knowing what's important to you. My question to you is what's important to you? What's important to you? Okay. What's important to you? The way some believers behave and the amount of time they invest in certain things makes you actually wonder what their priorities are. 
Let me say something. Your priorities will be seen in how much time you spend doing certain things. Don't, don't say this is my priority, but you hardly give time to it. Your priorities will be translated to, to your calendar. Your priorities will be translated to your time allocation. Do not say to me, Paul, prayer is a priority of mine, but Paul, it's just about my, the quality of the prayer. You're right? <laughs> okay. And then you only spend 15 minutes in prayer a day. Okay. No, no, no. You've just communicated that prayer is not important. For people who are foodies, people where food is a priority for them, you will, you will know. Saturday, they'll go out to certain restaurants to try out a particular restaurant. Sunday, they're at another one. All right. Guys where uh, football, watching football is a priority for them. Every World Cup, they literally are globetrotting. They'll save money just to go to do. I know people like that where they'll go to the different World Cups. Brazil, they were there. Moscow, they were there, right? Uh, they'll literally go to the different places, right? That's what they do. They invest their time into their priorities and um, they invest their money into their priorities, okay? So what you spend time on, what you invest your time in, right, is indicative of your priorities, Simple as that. Okay. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Very powerful. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, were those preparations important? They probably were, all right? In Martha's mind, this was crucial. This is the most important thing that's happening. But it's interesting how scripture calls it a, dis a distraction. You see, you can be distracted by good things. We're not just distracted by the flesh in terms of sin, okay? You can be distracted by good things. And very often, the good is the enemy of the great, okay? She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Can you see that in Martha's mind, right? This wasn't just a priority for Martha. In her mind, she thought it would be a priority for Jesus. She thought she was doing good. She thought like Jesus would be impressed with her. And you can see that she was surprised that Jesus, can't you see? You know, she was probably performing for Jesus, to be honest with you, right? Because she knew that uh, Jesus was observing what was going on. Right. And she didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just wanted to let you know, look what I've been doing. She assumed Jesus was already seeing it. And she's like, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. OK, uh, she had probably seen this maybe even in Jesus's value system. Maybe she had seen that Jesus was also quite diligent and hardworking. Right. And look what Jesus says. Martha, Martha. I love the way he singles her out. I love the way he names her twice, okay? And you could see he had insight concerning her personality. You know, there's some people who are always quite highly strung, okay? Uh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. It's interesting how he doesn't focus on what she was doing. He focuses on her heart condition, right? You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. That's so powerful. Few things are needed. That's why we need to simplify our lives. Okay. What are the few things that are needed in your life? Focus on those things and don't worry about the many things. 
Okay. He says, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I love Jesus's assertiveness. I love how he was actually guarding Mary's boundaries. Can you see that? Okay. He was almost like protecting and protective over Mary. Okay. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So we see that Jesus was clear about what was a priority. Do you know what's important in your life? Do you know what should be prioritized? What are the things that are distracting you from what's important, right? Are you clear about what the better things are in your life, right? And is your life identified by these better things? Very important questions just to reflect on. What's distracting you? Have you become that judge critic where you're now criticizing other people because in your mind you feel like, you know what, this person is just by themselves, you know, in their room praying, What's the point of that? And look, I've got all these things to do. Okay. Maybe Jesus is looking at that person and thinking they've chosen the better thing. Oh, look, how, look how, that person is just reading their Bible all the time. Maybe that person has chosen the better thing. And you're the one who's worried about many things. It's interesting how sometimes our acts of service, our acts of service can come from an anxious heart. Just watch out for that. Sometimes our acts of service can come from an anxious heart. Should we serve? Yes, we should serve. Should we do it out of love? Yes, yes, we should do it out of love. But very often anxiety causes you to just be busy, 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 running around like a headless chicken, right? But God is looking and he's thinking, you're distracted by those things. That's the enemy's strategy against you, okay? And uh, this account in scripture was placed there for a purpose. And I believe it's for us to understand what's most important, okay? Now I want to show you how Jesus guarded his identity. I want to give you examples from scripture that where we see that Jesus actually guarded his identity. He had very clear boundaries that he set and we need to have the same boundaries, okay? Um, I want to show you that Jesus had space boundaries, space boundaries. What's a space boundary? A space boundary is where you are guarding your space, okay? And you guard your space because you're guarding your identity. I remember the beginning of 2017 when my wife got her new car. Um, one of the first things she said to the kids was, uh, kids, no eating in this car. Okay, that was her space and she was guarding that space. I know some of you are thinking, uh, Paul, is that realistic? You know, how long did that last? Okay, I heard her reinforcing that boundary recently. Okay, but the point is it's her space, right? So we have space boundaries. For example, when you go into a, a lounge and then someone starts to smoke, you can say to that individual, you know what, no smoking in this lounge. And if you'd like to smoke, please go outside and just watch what direction the wind is blowing. Okay, that's an example of a space boundary. You're guarding your space. Often if my kids are making lots of noise or they're arguing in my car when I'm taking them to school or taking them somewhere, I say, guys, this is my space. And so you need to stop. Okay. It's not your space. You are coming into my car as a guest, right? And uh, that's important. So Jesus also had space boundaries and he guarded those boundaries, right? Um, we see this in Matthew 17 verses 1 to 2. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and uh, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone uh, like the sun and his clothes became as white 
as the light. What's interesting here is he didn't take all the disciples. There were times when he would just take Peter, James, and John. Okay, so he was guarding his space. He knew that something special is about to happen and there's certain people I'll let into that space, but other people I will not. Okay, so my question to you is, are you clear about who or what? Who or what you let into your space? Are you clear about that? Okay, if not, you will lose your identity. You will lose your identity. We see that Peter also practiced the same principle, okay? And sometimes in order for God to do great things, we have to ask everyone to leave. Sometimes for God to do something special, we have to have that space where it's just us and God, okay? Or just a few people and God, okay? And we see this in Acts 9 verses 36 to 42. Peter was about to perform a particular miracle, right? And it says this, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida, uh, Lida was near uh, Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please. Come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Isn't that powerful? He sent them all out of the room. Who do you need to be sending out of the room right now in your life because of what God wants to birth in you? Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Now, what did Peter know that we don't know? What did Peter know that those people didn't know? That in order for this miracle to take place, there's certain people who have to be asked to leave. Who has to be asked to leave your life right now, all right? Or get out of your space in order for that breakthrough to take place, you see, right? Why didn't Peter just carry on and pray while all these people were crying around him, okay? How would that have affected the miracle? Their miracles that God wants to do in your life. But he's saying, create certain space boundaries in order for that thing to be birthed. It might be certain friendships, okay? Let me ask you a question. Are you spending a few hours with certain people you should only be spending a few minutes with? It's a question I like to ask people, all right? Because for certain breakthroughs to take place, we need a certain atmosphere, a certain climate for that breakthrough to take place. And sometimes it requires you to assert certain space boundaries, okay? Jesus also had moral boundaries. He had very clear moral boundaries, right? He had made certain decisions about what is right and what is wrong. One of the reasons why a lot of Christians will fall into temptation, will fall into sin, is they haven't decided for themselves what their standard is. 
If you are uh, in a relationship, a romantic relationship, girl and boy, it's important to articulate what the physical boundaries are and to be very clear about it. Not to have that mindset of just saying, we'll just see, we'll go with the flow as it happens. Okay. If you're getting into a business partnership, an acquisition or a merger, you need to know what you stand for. I know certain people who've uh, gone into certain partnerships business-wise and now they're struggling to give. They used to be a great giver in terms of finances into the kingdom but now it's tricky for them because of the partnership that they're in because the other person doesn't understand that okay it's important to be clear what is your stance all right you're in a business partnership but the other person is bribing and so on and there you are sharing testimonies in church saying we got this breakthrough at least it wasn't really me who did the bribing it was my business partner okay but you're partnering with that all right jesus had moral boundaries in matthew 5 17 through to 48 Okay, we see him talking about some of these standards, right? He had clear standards concerning the law, concerning murder, concerning adultery, concerning divorce, concerning love, concerning forgiveness, concerning hate, okay, uh, concerning oaths, right? And that's why he would say, you've heard it said before, but now I'm saying to you, and he came with this higher standard, right? He did not mind differentiating himself from uh, the law for example, right? He did not mind differentiating himself and distinguishing himself by his standard of teaching, right? And my question to you is, are you willing to align your identity with the teachings of Jesus, okay? With the teachings of Jesus. In, Matthew, in Mark 8, Mark 8, verse 38, he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, some translations say my teachings, if anyone is ashamed of me and my teachings in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. You see, it's not just about, am I ashamed of being a Christian? Many of us are not ashamed of being Christians, but somehow we dissociate ourselves from Jesus's radical teachings, you know, his radical teachings. There was a time when he gave a difficult teaching uh, in Capernaum, for example, and he says, can you drink of my blood and eat of my flesh? And he says, from that time onwards, some of his disciples stopped following him. They stopped following him because of that difficult teaching, right? I don't know about you, but I want to identify with Jesus's moral boundaries. I want to identify with his moral boundaries. And those moral boundaries guard my identity as a believer. You see, if I don't have boundaries, moral boundaries, if I just go with the flow, right? I'm not distinguishing myself. I'm not distinguishing myself, right? In terms of my identity, Okay, so my question to you is, are the teachings of Jesus central to your identity? Okay, his, his teachings were central to his identity. Okay, let's be associated with his radical teachings. How many of you know that Jesus had information boundaries? He had boundaries when it came to information. That was one of the ways he guarded his identity. He didn't just tell everyone and anyone anything. He would say, you know what, with them, I will, I will teach them in parables. But with you right now, I'm teaching you plainly. So he had a different approach with different people. Are you guarded in terms of what you let out to who? Okay. Jesus says, do not throw pearls to swine, right? There's certain messages Jesus gives you maybe for your inner circle. There's certain things he calls you to share only with a few people, not with everyone. Are you guarded about that? Because that is part of your identity. Okay, part of knowing yourself and asserting your identity is knowing what is personal 
and what is private and what is not. Okay? God wants to be able to entrust you with his secrets. That's why the Bible says the secrets of the Lord, the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him, right? Are for those who fear him. He confides in those who fear him. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus had boundaries. He had boundaries. There's certain things he didn't tell even his disciples. Now, there are a lot of things he shared with them, right? He says, you know what? All the things that the Father has given me, I've shared with you. So he shared with them so many things, but he also had boundaries. And there's certain things he didn't share. In John 16, verse 25, Bible says, though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. So what you share with people is also to do with seasons. There are times when there's certain things you, you feel like, you know what, I can't tell my kids this yet. Okay. But there'll be a time when they come of age, I'll be able to share this with them and share that with them. I now know after this message, my kids are going to say, dad, dad, what are those things? Can you share with us, please? We want to know. Why can't you tell us? Okay. So there are things you are guarded about. Okay. Um, in second Corinthians, Chapter 12, verses 2 to 4, we see Paul practicing this principle. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the, in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell, you see. And when you want God to promote you as an intercessor, when you want God to promote you as a prophetic person, you have to show that you're trustworthy concerning the things he shows you, all right? Concerning the things you show, he shows you. I still remember some years ago when I was at uh, university, there were certain things God showed me about a particular person. But when I shared them, there was a side of me where I wanted someone else to be listening in because I wanted that person, the fear of the Lord to come upon that other person because I felt like that message was also for that individual. And although it was accurate what I was sharing with this person, this person then says, you see with you Christians, that's why sometimes people don't uh, receive from you because how could you have shared what you shared? That was a personal thing in front of so-and-so, okay? And I humbly apologized. I said, I'm really sorry about that, okay? Uh, said, even if, even the fact that the, the thing you said was true, yes, it was true, but it was in front of so-and-so. How come you did that, Okay. So I was using the prophetic to make a point to someone else, okay, in my immaturity as it were, right? If we want to be promoted in prophetic ministry, if we want to be promoted in intercessory ministry, God will be showing us all sorts of things, but we need to be wise. We need to have information boundaries to reinforce our identity in who God has called us to be, okay? Otherwise, we disqualify ourselves from being used greatly by the Lord, okay? There are times when God will show you certain things and it's just for you to pray. It's not for you to share, okay? When we always have this default of having to share, having to share, having to talk about it and so on, well, God will just look at us and say, you know what, yeah, I can entrust this person with this, but not with this, okay? And you'll stagnate in the gifts and calling of God, okay? Other thing about Jesus was that 
uh, he had time and energy boundaries. In other words, he could set limits. He could set limits. You know, if you're married uh, to someone who loves to entertain all the time, they love entertaining people, right? Um, sometimes it's important to actually set limits, to be able to say, hey guys, it's been real. You can carry on if you want, but I'm going to bed now. I've got an early start tomorrow morning. Why? You're asserting your identity. You know what you're called to, so you are guarding that identity, okay? You know, the enemy tries to get us to a place where we're just so run down because we're distracted by so many things, okay? Your energy levels are not an unlimited uh, resource, okay? They're a limited resource. And Jesus knew when it was time to stop, okay? Um, what is draining you and how is it impacting others around you right now, right? How many hours a week can you work? Are you keeping appointments with yourself? You see, we're very good at keeping appointments with other people, aren't we? But are you good at keeping appointments with yourself, right? You see, it's easy for me to say, I can't meet you today. I've got a meeting with Michael. So because I respect Michael, right, I will respect my appointments with him, right? It's easy for me to say that. But it's not as easy for me to say, I cannot meet with you. I've got an appointment with myself. I just need some me time. I will just be praying. I'm just going to be in the word. I'll just be meditating on the word. Can you see that, right? Do you respect yourself enough to give yourself time and energy boundaries? Okay, very, very important. If you don't, you will lose your identity. You will lose your identity. You'll be enmeshed in everyone else's plan, right? And that's why it's important to actually have a plan, right? Having a plan is preparing the details beforehand. That's what a plan is by definition. You're preparing the details beforehand. If I don't have a plan for my weekend, I'll be on everyone else's agenda. If I don't have a plan for my own uh, training, my physical training, I'll be on everyone else's training program. All right. Um, so that's so that's why it's so, so important to know what is the maximum maximum amount of time I can spend at a function. Before you go to a function, say to yourself, you know what, we'll just be there for two hours. If you don't define that, people will be just like, yeah, no, just carry on, yeah, yeah, just stay, no, no, yeah, right? Um, so watch out for that. What, how many series will you watch in a row? What's your limit, right, on TV? What's your limit when it comes to socializing, right? We lose our sense of identity when we get carried away doing things just because other people are doing them, right? Why do we have limits in terms of game time, computer game time for our children? If we don't have a limit, they can spend all morning just playing games, okay? Um, are you spending, and I asked you this earlier on, but it's such an important question, are you spending a few hours with certain people you should only be spending a few minutes with, right? So we see how Jesus had time and energy boundaries. Let me show you in scripture. In John chapter two, uh, we see this, okay? In uh, verse four. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come, right? This was when Jesus was about to perform his first miracle. He ended up doing it anyway, but his mother was asking him. It seemed like there was that pressure. Jesus, we want you to do this. Jesus, the people need you. And he asserted that boundary, right? Maybe out of compassion, he ended up doing it, but he still asserted that boundary. And he said to his own mom, woman, woman, why are you involving me? Why are you involving me? My hour has not yet come. Are people rushing you to do things prematurely? Are they rushing you to do things prematurely? It's important to assert that boundary and to be able to say the time is not right yet. 
Okay, I've experienced it in my life where people say, but you're gifted in this, you can do this, you're able to do this, so go for it. What's stopping you? If not now, when? If not you, who? But I must hear from God in terms of timing to know that my time has not yet come, right? In John 7 verse 8, he says to his disciples, guys, you go ahead to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Now we know he ended up um, by himself going to the festival. And it's not that Jesus was lying. It's just that he was, uh, he had his own way of doing it, right? He wanted to end up going to the festival his own way. And he didn't have to tell them that, oh, I'm coming with you right now. That's another boundary. Sometimes people force us. They literally force us to tell them our strategy, how we're going to do them. And they want to know the A to Z of everything we're about to do. You don't have to tell them. Okay, unless the Lord is saying it's your responsibility to tell everyone everything, then don't tell them. You don't have to. Okay, so again, he asserts his identity there by saying, My time has not fully come. Okay, in Mark 6, verse 30 to 31, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Okay, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. All right. Can you see that's an energy? That's an energy boundary that Jesus was asserting. He was asserting limits. Guys, we need to rest. Okay, so Jesus was able to set limits and withdraw for rest. Right. And that reaffirmed his identity. Right. Just because the crowds were there, he was not going to play to their tune. Just say, oh, because I'm in demand. Therefore, I just have to be here. Right. He also needed rest. He was remember he was fully God, but he was also fully man. Right. Uh, So Jesus was also aware and conscious of his responsibility boundaries. Right. It's like when kids are working at home, you know, during this lockdown. Right. How much can you do for them? You know, I know there's some parents out there who literally do all the homework for the kids, right? And the kids end up with high marks and so on. And sometimes there's that question, you know, to what extent can I help my child? What is he responsible for? And sometimes when we're disciplining our children, (coughs) we have to be aware of these boundaries to say, you know what? Let him experience the consequences of uh, lack of studying for a test, for example. Let, let, Let me not rescue my child all the time, Okay. Uh, I know my kids sometimes end up saying like, yeah, but it's my it's my homework. It will be my results. So don't worry about it. And then we have to come in and say, yeah, but we are paying the fees. OK, so we don't want to waste our cash. Right. Um, so Jesus was able to set limits and withdraw and go for rest, wasn't he? OK, he was also aware of responsibility boundaries. He knew what he could do for the disciples and he also knew what he couldn't do for them. Right. Uh, look at Galatians 6. Verses four to five, each one should should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. What's your load to carry? What's your load to carry? Just because your spouse is a strong intercessor doesn't mean you're a strong intercessor, right? Sometimes we try to ride on each other's glory, okay? Just because you're You've got a a, a pastor or an apostle who uh, is doing great exploits, right, in certain certain ways. I'm not talking about myself, by the way. I'm just speaking to everyone out there. Just because you've got a leader who's like that doesn't mean you're like that, okay? There's a boundary there. Each person has to carry his own load, 
right? Uh, so to what extent can we carry other people's burdens? Just think about that. And we see this in Jesus's life. He couldn't make his disciples pray. It wasn't like there was this supernatural grace on Jesus that if you're just around him, prayer just becomes easy, all right? You also had to build up your own prayer muscle. And we see this in Matthew 26, verses 38 to 41. Jesus was at a crucial moment in his life. And watch this. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, right? Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Then he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, okay? And so you might have experienced this where you're assuming that because you're strong in one area, the people around you will also be strong in that particular area. But ladies and gentlemen, there are responsibility boundaries. You have to build up your own prayer muscle. No one can do it for you, right? You have to build up your own understanding of the word. No one can do it for you. Just because your father knows the word a lot or your mother knows the word a lot doesn't automatically mean by osmosis you suddenly know it. You have to build up your own muscle, right? What am I responsible for? What are the people around me responsible for, okay? And uh, we see this happening. You know, Jesus was also clear when it came to choice boundaries, choice boundaries. And we experience this as we are parenting children, right? To what extent can I choose their sports or their favorite subjects for them, okay? Be careful. You can't live your life or your dreams through the people around you, even if you've got authority over them. You can advise them and then you show them the consequences of the decisions that they are making. And Jesus allows us to make certain choices. And the choices which I make and the choices which you make, right, reinforce your identity. And it's important to guard that. Are you there and you're struggling to make certain decisions and you want other people to decide for you? There's certain decisions you have to make for yourself. How radical am I going to be as a Christian? No one can force that on you. No one can force that on you. Okay. To what extent am I going to be prayerful as a believer? It's a choice that you have. You see, when you're mature in your identity, you know that people's choices are not a reflection of how you've counseled them, okay? You're clear about who you are and who they are. You're not in confusion about this. And we see this in Deuteronomy 30, uh, verses 15 to 20. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, see it's a choice, right? And you're not obedient. And if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed, okay? You will not live long in the land uh, you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings and curses. Now choose life 
So you've got a choice. You can assert your will. There's a way I'm living and I've chosen to live that way. There's a way you're choosing to live. That's up to you. But there's a boundary that is there. And as I guard that, that I've got a choice. If, if friends of mine are watching a TV program that's inappropriate, I've got a choice to get up and to say, for me, I need to guard my heart. It's a choice that I'm actually making. Okay, Uh, so it's a choice we have now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord, your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We see this with Joshua in chapter 24, verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you guys, right, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, right? Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we have these standards. And the standards we have reinforce our kingdom identity. We will not have certain standards based on what the world is doing out there right? Often our kids might say, oh, but so-and-so's family does this, but everyone else is doing this. We say, but we are not them. We've got our values and we've got our standards. And then finally, Jesus had social boundaries, social boundaries. Very often we are so enmeshed in what our families are doing, aren't we? Right? And we just go with the flow and we do whatever they're doing. It could be extended families. It could be the practice of your uh, culture, or your ethnic group, right? Um, let me let me just say something. If we do not intentionally set social boundaries, we take away our identity in Him, right? We literally remove that identity we have in Christ Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter twelve, verse forty-six to fifty. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood aside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him. Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus here was asserting his identity. He was basically saying, my primary identity is not my cultural group. My primary identity is not my so-called racial group. My primary identity is not based on my historical context, but it's based on my kingdom identity. You see, people often give us labels based on our cultural or historical context. And then we internalize those labels and that becomes our primary identity. Friends, when you're in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay, the Bible speaks about that. Right. How do you want people to relate to you? Right. Based on your family background or on who you've become in Christ. And here's the principle. You are responsible to mentor people in how they should relate to you. If people are always calling you this and labeling you that based on your place of origin, it's up to you to actually say, I'm a Christian first. I'm a believer first, right? Some of these other things are secondary to me, okay? They're things of the flesh. They're based on outward appearance. But my primary identity is in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you 
to really meditate on this message and to focus on who you've become in Christ and knowing who that is and guarding it by asserting boundaries. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this word, Lord God. I thank you, Father, that you're taking us to a place where we'll be clear about our identity in you and we'll be clear, Lord God, about our values, our standards, and that they would be aligned to your word and to your teachings and that we would never be ashamed of these precious things, Lord. I pray, Father, that you help us and you give us scripts to assert the boundaries that we need to assert, that we would have healthy boundaries, that we would guard our identities. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you.